These are verses of confidence again here. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Amen. Dear saints, you may be seated. A lot to be thankful for. Let's go to the Lord in prayer now. Father, we thank you that we can come before you with thanksgiving and praise, giving you the glory due to your holy name. We pray that you will feed us Jesus in this sacrament later, but in the word now preached, thanking you that you do that, that you faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We consecrate our hearts to you now and pray that you would bless us in Jesus, the word of God, in whose name we pray. Amen. You know, it's always nice when authors tell us why they wrote their missives, their books, their letters, their articles, whatever it is. And John does that for us here in verse 13, as you heard Elder Craig read it a while. This is why I wrote for you. Ironically, he did the same thing in his gospel, the gospel of John, at chapter 20, verse 31. He actually explains why he wrote that long and beautiful gospel, and it was that people would believe in this Christ that was chronicled throughout the verses and chapters of that wonderful tome. It's obviously very important to God that his baptized, covenanted, regenerated, and believing church children have a fully constituted, confident faith, and we're going to study this dynamic, Lord willing, today. If we lack assured trust in our Lord Jesus Christ, then any vestige of a real, authentic, joyful, childlike Christian life totally vanishes, which is very sad. On the other hand, If we possess Jesus despite lacking in anything else, knowledge, experience, wisdom, whatever, if we have him, then nothing is too difficult for us or beyond our reach in Jesus Christ alone. And still, pastorally, I must say this, and it's important that I do, and that is that it is okay to struggle with the issues of assurance and the issues of security in Jesus Christ. Uh, Many saints have gone through that struggle, and it is okay to have that struggle so long as, and this caveat is absolute, so long as we are persevering Lord's Day to Lord's Day in the house of the Lord, in his worship, hearing his word, receiving his gospel and his ministrations, despite our struggles. So in light of all this, let's make it our goal this Resurrection Day to more consistently practice confident faith as God's beloved church, looking together at 1 John 5:13 through 15. If you're new and you want to use the outline, there's one provided in your bulletin. Title of the sermon, Confident Faith. The doctrine, God's children in his church are given the very best blessings. Now these verses here that speak of assurance, faith, and confidence presuppose something about our wonderful God that makes those lovely things possible, and that is that our Heavenly Father is the benevolent bestower upon us, His undeserving and yet beloved and transformed saints of His church, of every good and perfect gift, as per James 1.17. The Lord 
is good to everything he made. The scripture teaches that to the rocks, the trees, the planets, the animals, the reprobate, his enemies. God is good to everything he makes, but he is especially good and tender to those he bought with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And therefore, this may be said, that God's children in his church are given the very best blessings. First, our confident faith in Jesus rearranges all our priorities. Now, in this point, we are looking at what happens to us immediately upon the moment of our regenerations. And, of course, the regeneration happens passively. We have nothing to do with it. We're just abiding happily in our sin, rebellion, death, and hell, and condemnation and damnation. And yet the sovereign God comes upon elect souls and regenerates them. And immediately upon that happening, our hearts are anointed with the atoning graces of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. And every piece of our lives get reordered in a special and wonderful way. This means that Jesus Christ, the one human mediator between us and the Holy God, 1 Timothy 2.5, ushers us into a new love structure, and this is the most important part of this rearranging, where the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are now at the top of that list, and everything else flows down from that glorious trinity to the redeemed church, the true church, the covenanted church, to all people, to animals, to trees, etc. All this is a part of the structure of God's love. And of course, our love for the one and only triune God is entirely based on his prior love, his sovereign love, his electing love for us. 1 John 4, 10 and 19, it said it twice. We only love God because he first loved us. If we love anyone or anything, dears, listen to this, more than Jesus Christ, then we do not belong to God, and we are not the disciples of the Messiah. Luke 14.26, listed on your outline, makes this abundantly clear. You might say, Pastor, that's scary. I'm scared now. Well, let me say this to you. If you are in Christ, faithful in the covenant, Do not fear, because if you are in Christ by saving grace, as a result of God's work in your life, even though you know yourself to be a struggler, you're like, I'm still struggling, then not only are you regenerated, but in fact, whether you realize it or not, really, truly, you do love God in Jesus Christ, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, more than you love yourself or anyone else or anything else. And remember, if you put anything before Jesus Christ, you don't really love them. Anyone who sins with another person never loves them or themselves. It's impossible. Love must be in this wonderful rearrangement of redemptive, regenerating grace. Our confident faith in Jesus rearranges all our priorities, which results in the sweetest achievable liberty. And this is the unspeakable glory of life in Jesus and his church. We are given a freedom about which the world can only dream. 
God's children are unshackled from the chains of sin, hell, death, rebellion, the false self, condemnation. Positively, we are given Jesus Christ and we get to bear our cross for his glory, Matthew 16, 24. And in doing so, dears, we find that his burden is light and his yoke is easy compared to the world and sin and the chains of damnation. Matthew eleven twenty nine and 30. But it is largely in this very fact of bearing our cross and willingly and gladly putting ourselves under Jesus' reign and rule that our entire lives are so thoroughly revolutionized, turned upside down, and radically altered. Ironically, it is only through Jesus Christ and our faith in and love for him that we come to live the full and free life that very existence the Son of God came to proclaim and to offer and to give to the world. And that life that is applied to the world of God's elect children from every part of the earth. The most noble life any human being can attain to because it is a life not in ourselves, but in our Savior, our glorious highest love. True church, this is your life. This is your destiny. This is your inheritance. This is your blessing. All in Jesus Christ, your Lord. Let's look at these marvelous verses 13 through 15. 1 John chapter 5. And enjoy the incredible benefits of our confident faith in Christ. Now these remarkable blessings from our passage for today are Christological, soteriological, or salvation-laden, practical, and affirming. What more could we ask for? I think these are also especially priceless verses for those who wrestle with their sense of abiding safety in God's arms or care. And again, that is something that we're tenderly compassionate about. But for all of us, whether we're strong or weak, secure or insecure, all of us have much to gain from the incredible benefits of our confident faith in Christ. As, for instance, that we possess assurance of our salvation in Jesus. Verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Isn't that interesting that John would say something like that? Again, he's got this as a general Catholic letter, epistle. He's writing to these churches, probably around Ephesus, and he's like the pastor emeritus. He's probably pretty old at that time. And and he's wanting to assure these saints. Maybe the Gnostics had so beaten them down and made them question their, their faith, their assurance with God. You know, a lot of us struggle with this. I remember in college, a lot of young Christians, myself included, drew a lot of comfort from 1 John 5.13. We used to talk about it, quote it, learn it, speak about it. Because a lot of people come from backgrounds that are, that are performance-driven, that are works-oriented, that are law-mongering. Oh, you must obey this, you must do that, you must... Comply with this standard. And if you don't, you're under condemnation. This is the devil's gospel. It's also the evil teaching of many religionists, some who even profess themselves to be Christians. You know, John seems to be going out of his way here to identify and console a subset of believers in Jesus Christ 
with whom perhaps he himself could relate. Remember, John, yes, he was the son of thunder. Let's call down fire on these Samaritans who don't want us to come into their town. But wasn't he also the apostle of love, the one that Jesus loved? He was the sensitive one, the philosophical one. Perhaps he understood the struggle. And like I said, he he goes out of his way to say he wrote this epistle for the very purpose that we noted earlier. And that purpose or reason was that, quote, you may know that you have eternal life. Of course, we must never lose track of the fact that that is premised on the source of this solace, which was found in the words that preceded, quoting, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. This promise isn't for people who don't believe in the name of the Son of God. This is the promise for the people who do believe in the name of the Son of God. It should also be mentioned here that there was in operation an assumption in the New Testament era that was so taken for granted that it scarcely needed to even be stated. And that was that John was writing to real Christians in real, concrete, visible church parishes. The apostle would never have said something like this to, nor sought to encourage a lone ranger religious person who thought that he or she could have Jesus without the church, without the Lord's Supper, without the ministrations, without preaching, without what God offers and gives to his people. Not possible. We possess assurance of our salvation in Jesus. And we possess everything of value in Jesus. Verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, verse 14 is interesting, especially in context. And it's, it's consistent with Pauline teaching, that quoting Jesus in John 14 elsewhere about, ask anything you want, and I'll give it to you. It's all about the good things, the best things. The apostle seems to be saying here in verse 14, and I believe he is saying it, that if we know we possess eternal life, and this is ours through our faith given to us by God, sovereignly, in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, then that faith which we have, which is God's gift, is also sufficient, obviously by logical deduction, to assure us that we may gain any other good and wonderful blessing thing from God that he wants to give us. Now, obviously, a comment like that by a pastor, a preacher of the gospel, should have an asterisk next to it. And the reason for that is that our request truly must be, quoting the verse, according to God's will. Now, there are, in this respect, there are two legitimate senses of God's will, and let's talk about them. The first one I've already alluded to is the easy one, and it's the most important one. So this is the will, the will of God that is always yours. No questions asked. Somebody wants Jesus sincerely from the heart, God will give him. That will be evidence of election and predestination to be sure. But God will give. Somebody wants grace, salvation, forgiveness of sins, real, truly, mercy, kindness, any fruit of the Spirit, God will give those. Self-denial, joy, holiness, love, all in Jesus, 
You've got it. Not once ever in the history of mankind has God refused to grant somebody any of those blessings if they ask for it sincerely, even though those hearts are still tainted with sin and our requests aren't as perfect as they should be. That's the first category. That's the easy but the most important one. The second one is more malleable or uncertain, at least from our point of view, though certainly not from God's. And that is, when we ask for sincerely good things, i.e. not sinful things, things that we really do want, things that are lawful, things that are okay, things that are applicable to a saint, things that could enhance the glory of God, if at least we think it might, but these are not the things that apply to the first category. This could be a, a person you're thinking about that maybe you're thinking might want to consider marrying, or maybe it would be a job that you're thinking, or a career, or maybe it could be a house or a car or um, a new, I don't care, just about anything. That's just not sinful. The thing here with regard to the will of God is that what we're to do, and if we can do it, we're victorious, it's not easy, is to submit ourselves in love to God's sovereign will with regard to it and his prerogative as to whether or not he wishes to give it to us, knowing that God knows what's best for us anyway, right? And so we trust him. But it's still good and wise for us to make that request as per this verse, laying our requests before God. In this manner, really, truly, we get what we want, as long as we're walking in the Spirit. Now, it may not appear that we get what we want if we don't get what we want. But if we're walking with Jesus, we're actually getting what we want and even more, because he knows what's best for us. We might think we know what's best for us, but we really don't. The wise Christian submits everything to God, trusting him, knowing that he knows what's best for us. Now, we might get it in a different form from what we ourselves imagine to be best, but it will be best. Nonetheless, dear saints, we may be assured that if we are practicing by grace our genuine faith in Jesus, then we are truly receiving what is best for us all in Christ. We possess assurance of our salvation in Christ, everything of value in Christ, and finally, we possess the heart of God in Jesus. Verse 15. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request we have asked of him. Now, verse 15 may appear to be and be a bit of a restatement of verse 14, but I would say the onus here, if I may say it that way, is on God himself. What does it mean, biblically, for God to, quote, hear us, even as verses 14 and 15 use that language? For sure, it does not mean that he is somehow incapable of knowing all things and that somehow he is deaf to some of the details that are spoken. That's completely nonsense. What it does mean, especially with the text about God hearing us, is that our Father agrees with our request and therefore will grant it. Remember, that first category is always ours, 100%, universally, comprehensively, no questions asked. The second category, we trust the sovereign God who knows and created us, knows us better. 
Conversely, when we hear God, it is often meaning that we understand the word of God, usually preached, as we're doing right now, and then obey him in Christ. But I think the wonder of verse 15 is in the fact that the sovereign God of absolute glory and majesty gives himself to us in Jesus Christ with so much abandon that he will now grant us everything else as well in Christ that is good and good for us, as per Romans 8.32, and in so doing shows us that he holds us close to his heart and even in his heart as we are nestled there in the human nature of the second person of the Holy Trinity, Jesus Christ our Lord. As always, let's do a little more application this morning and understand why true Christians should exuberantly exercise confident faith in Christ. E-X-U-B-E-R-A-N-T-L-Y. Someone might ask, why exuberantly? And my answer would be, why not? The principle for Christian living is not, we're just down here grinding it out, eking out an existence, trying to squeak our way through heaven's gates before Peter shuts the door and no one can get in, all that kind of nonsense. No, that's not Christian living. In fact, a person that thinks that probably isn't destined for glory anyway. We have to have our foot on the pedal all the way, pushing, striving, straining, moving, pressing out, pushing the envelope of this grace, this church, this covenant, this glory, this gospel, further and further in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our world. We cannot hold back or take a break from it. We're called to something glorious, something bigger and better than ourselves. And this splendor all resides in Christ as we are joined to him as his body, his church. Our very being, not even principally what we do, explains why true Christians should exuberantly exercise confident faith in Christ. First, because this is our inheritance as God's elect. Listen to the wonderful words of Colossians 2, 2, and 3, written to ordinary but miraculously redeemed and regenerated Christians, sinner saints of the church living in an obscure part of the Roman Empire. Quote, that your hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So how do those words relate to our text today out of 1 John 5? In every conceivable way. In Jesus, we are to enjoy our birthright, and yet how would this be possible unless we knew ourselves to be in Christ, God's beloved children, the very truth that the Apostle John was seeking to drive home to his readers in the first century A.D.? I always like to encourage faithful Christian churchmen who are willing to come to healthy churches and hear gospel sermons, despite how weak or struggling or hard it is for you. You're the real deal. It's not those who say they are. It's in who you are. So be encouraged if that is your desire. No matter how much you may struggle, you need to know that you are in Christ. 
that the sovereign God has bought and elected you and brought you to himself. The evidence is in where you are, in what you're doing. So you might be asking, how does this apply to me? And the answer again is, look at who you are. We live in a world of performance. The world's gospels is all about doing things. No. Look at who you are. Who you constitute right now. Where you are. On which day you are in. What you are doing as you are hearing a gospel sermon even right now. And the one whom you love and believe in that brings it all together, that coalesces the whole thing into one great unified whole, one wonderful, wisdom-filled, gracious way to live. Then you can perform, you can live, but you do it out of freedom and obedience. In a nutshell, this is your glory. This is your glory. What you're doing now is your glory. As you fully share in Christ as his church, his covenant, his people. Conversely or ancillarily, do you need something, want something? Something you want, you need? Ask your heavenly father. He's kind, gracious, tender, merciful, benevolent, sweet, good, wise. He knows what's best for you. Ask him and do it with Christ at the forefront. Why true Christians should exuberantly exercise confident faith in Christ because this is our inheritance as God's elect and our Father is glorified when we trust him in Christ. Is comfort and sweetness ever offered to us in the Bible for its own sake or for our own sake? Actually, no. It's a corporate wonderful thing. That would be impossible, actually, because God is good and everything good is inextricably linked to him. The divine logos, the word of God, the wisdom of God, the one to whom everything flows, the one who makes order out of chaos, the word of God, Jesus Christ our Lord, the wisdom of God, the one through whom the Holy Trinity created this entire glorious created universe. The fact is that God is intimately involved in every good and gracious thing that happens in his world. And this especially means that our Heavenly Father is glorified every time anyone trusts in Him through His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, including us. And this trust glorification gets initiated from our point of view when our faith appreciates our prior regeneration and we now begin to enjoy our justification, adoption, sanctification, and glorification all in Christ Jesus our Lord and Redeemer. So, dears... Let us bathe ourselves today in God's love, his goodness. God is an ocean, a universe, a world of unbounded, perfect affection. Being freshly renewed in his Jesus' blood atonement, his triumphant victory over all our, our enemies in his resurrection, whereby he secures for us our justification. Beloved, confident faith is the privilege of the children church of God. As the Lord's redeemed saints, let us practice confident faith in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for confident faith in Jesus. We thank you that you are a God of glory and love and 
wonder and amazement. And you've given us already every good and perfect gift. There isn't anything more you can give us. Not in heaven, not in eternity, not on the day of judgment, the day of the resurrection. No. We have it right now in Christ Jesus. We look forward to the, to the complete enjoyment of those that blessing. But we have right now all these glories. We thank you that you provided your church this wonderful assurance. And that we can live the days of our life here, short though they be in comparison to eternity, with meaning, even joy, grace, growth, love, confidence, even taking trials, struggles, hardships, and evils and persecutions and using them for our good and your glory. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.